Yeah, so if you're, um, if you're at a loss, if people are saying to you, what can I get you for Christmas? And you've got nothing to answer, then say, get me a book about the Gospel of Mark. And um, you'll do well to um, get familiar with that. Okay, so in the meantime, today, I'm just going to bring you really a message that um, doesn't really fit in anywhere else. And it's, um, you know, I've been waiting really to bring this for quite some time. And we're going to be looking at the subject of Zion. Zion. So Zion is um, one of those great words that you come across in the Bible from time to time. Occasionally it crops up in some of the songs that we sing. And um, I just wonder, you know, what you think Zion is. What's your understanding of Zion? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, um, <laughs> I'm just conscious everybody's looking somewhere else. <laughs> so, Zion. Let's just talk about um, what that is in terms of um, the Bible. So, Zion is a location in uh, Israel. Um, it's a mountainous area. It's a natural uh, fort. So, um, uh, so there's a, it's a large outcrop of limestone rock, and there's a steep escarpments on the north and the, on, the, on the south and the east and the west side, so easily defended all around, a great view of what's all around, um, and a large uh, limestone sort of high ground plateau behind. So, you know, naturally, it's a great fortification um, to go for. Um, now, just talk a little bit about the history of uh, Zion in Scripture. So, first of all, it's the location of where King Melchizedek had his uh, habitation. So, if you remember through our studies of Hebrew, Melchizedek was king of Salem. Well, Salem was built on that high limestone plateau. So that's the first um, sort of uh, point, really, in Scripture where we come across it. Later on, uh, the place is occupied by the Jebusites. Now, the Jebusites, Jebus was a descendant of Canaan, and the Jebusites were part of the inhabitants of Canaan that were to be displaced as the Israelites came in. If you remember, God promised the land to Abraham and his descendants, and then quite a lot of time goes by and Abraham's descendants are in Israel, are in Egypt, and they're brought out by Moses and they cross the wilderness and then they enter the promised land under Joshua and they start to displace the existing inhabitants. And the Jebusites were supposed to be displaced by the tribe of Judah. Well, they displaced a lot of, a lot of them, but they did not conquer that natural fortress of Zion where the Jebusites lived. So time goes on and they just accommodate the Jebusites living live in amongst them. And um, so you you know in your in your Bibles you're going you're going all the way from Joshua, you're going through judges and Ruth. So all of those judges come and go and the Jebusites are still there. And then King Saul comes and goes, and the Jebusites are still there. David arrives, King David arrives on the scene. He finally takes the throne after Saul dies. And then for seven years, David 
reigns from Hebron. So Hebron is his capital city. And it's not until seven years into that reign that David finally decides it's the Jebusites number is up and he's going to take that fortress of Zion. And so you can read all about it in the scriptures. There's a very, there's a cunning way in which finally that um, fortress is conquered. And so finally, 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 seven years into the reign of King David, Zion becomes part of Israel. And finally, it's part of the promised land. And finally, it's conquered. And the Jebusites are ousted. And David establishes his... Uh, his palace there in Zion. He builds up the nat what's naturally a fortified place. He builds it up and he, he adds walls and he puts lookout towers in and, you know, all the kind of medieval portcullises and all that kind of stuff um, and builds it out to be a, just a totally invincible place. Um, and he puts his palace there and he puts his um, the centre of his army there, his guards there. Um, David's mighty men are housed there. And that becomes the city of David. So again, a phrase you'll probably come across in scripture, the city of David. The city of David is Zion. And it's called the city of David because he finally conquers it and he makes it into his fortification. And then around that fortification around that fort of zion on that limestone plateau behind grows up a city the city of jerusalem and that becomes the capital city of israel so jerusalem the name comes from jabus and salem so it's the jebusites salem it's jabus's salem so jabus salem becomes, you know, just muted to become Jerusalem. So that's the connection between Zion, the city of David, and then Jerusalem becoming the capital. So think of the city of David, perhaps like you might think of um, maybe, you know, you think of, you think of London as the capital, but you think of Westminster really as the sort of center of government. And sometimes you might talk about, you know, you might talk about Westminster when you mean the government and the government machinery. And sometimes you might speak about London when you mean the UK. So we might talk about, say, London, Washington and Paris, really meaning the UK, the USA and France. Yeah. So in the same way, in the scriptures, we talk about the Zion, which is the city of David and Jerusalem as well. So sometimes Zion is used to speak of Jerusalem as a whole and sometimes to speak of the nation as a whole. But you'll also find that Jerusalem is referred to in the scripture as the daughter of Zion. And that's because Zion comes first. Zion is conquered by David first. He establishes Zion as his city and Jerusalem builds up behind it really. Um, and it's, um, and, and it's um, Solomon uh, who comes after David, who expands Jerusalem and makes it his capital and puts the big puts the walls all around Jerusalem. So that's the sort of, you know, geography of it all. Um, now, I want to connect that idea. So that idea of David 
reigning from Zion and that being the centre of his government, I want to connect that idea with what happens with the Ark of the Covenant. So in your minds, roll back to Moses and the Israelites crossing the desert and the Israelites coming to Sinai and Moses receives the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone and he also receives instructions about the building of the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is this uh, tent construction it's temporary, it's movable, and it moves around with the Israelites through the wilderness while they're in the wilderness. And the, 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 the tabernacle has got three sections. There's an outer court, then there's an inner court, and then there's right in the centre, there's the smallest part called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there's the Ark of the Covenant which is this box that's um, very ornate and covered over with gold. And uh, part of the artistry of that box is that there are two um, cherubim, so angelic creatures, um, and they, they, they stand on the box with their wings um, outstretched um, at opposite ends of the box and their wings touch one another. The box is about this kind of size, so you know, you're talking about an ornamental... Um, display and so there is this there's this section just at the top of the box which is covered by the wings of these two cherubim as they as they as they reach out to one another and just touch wingtips of this area in the middle and that area in the middle in um, Moses's tabernacle the glory of God the Shekinah glory of God dwells above that Ark of, Ark of the Covenant in that space there. So there's a shining uh, illumination of the presence of God right there, the Shekinah glory of God dwelling right there. And you'll know through all of our studies in Hebrews how, you know, how precious that whole place is and how it's just the high priest who can only enter that Holy of Holies once a year, you know, with a lot of blood being sprinkled and he goes in there and pleads for the nation of Israel and he does that once a year. So that's how special that place is. Now, when the Israelites entered the Promised Land with Joshua, the tabernacle um, stops moving around. You know, they've arrived. And the tabernacle, first of all, sits at a place called Shiloh. And all of the normal services of that tabernacle continue. The priests are there and the blood sacrifices, the daily blood sacrifices, they all continue in that Ark of the Covenant. That's <laughs> quite a day today, isn't it? <laughs> um, as time goes on, and you're talking about many hundreds of years go past, when King Saul comes to the throne, King Saul is in the habit of um, taking that covenant, that Ark of the Covenant, out with him to various battles and events. Um, and indeed, he moves the tabernacle to where he lives at a place called Gibeon. Um, and then there is this um, occasion where the Ark of the Covenant is captured in battle by the Philistines. 
So the Ark of the Covenant is now out of the Holy of Holies, it's away from the tabernacle, it's captured by the Philistines. There's a great story, it's well worth reading in, in 1 Samuel, all about how God sees to it that, you know, he, he's quite capable of making sure that his Ark gets out of the Philistines' hands. Um, and um, and it, it, it ends up in an Israel, with an Israelite, uh, one of the Levites called Abinadab, he, it ends up in his house. And that's where it stays. So it's, what I want you to understand is it's dislocated. It's not where it should be. It's out of sorts. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not in the tabernacle. Um, and it's like that for many, many years. And it's not until David has captured Zion and set up his uh, capital city there in Jerusalem and um, is reigning from there. It's not until then that the Lord stirs David's heart and he goes to find where is the tabernacle. And that we then have this extraordinary period where instead of the tabernacle being, instead of the Ark of the Covenant being returned to the tabernacle, David sets up his own tent in Zion. And the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant is moved to that tent. So, so for the 33 years that David reigns from Jerusalem, there is a tent established in Zion and the Ark of the Covenant is in that tent. Now that tent is very different from the tabernacle. The tabernacle continues to exist at Gibeon and the sacrifices continue to take place at Gibeon, but the Holy of Holies, the center of that tabernacle is empty. There's no Ark there. The Ark is in a tent in Zion. And that tent is a very simple, structure there is no outer court inner court and holy of holies it's just the ark of the covenant in a tent and anybody can go in and out and you can just go in and there is the ark of the covenant you can just see it there now nobody touches that ark because um there was an incident when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into his tent in Zion, where somebody reached out to touch that Ark to stop it falling off a cart, and bang, that guy called Uzzah, he was struck down dead because that Ark was still very, very holy and nobody was allowed near it except the Levites. So David has to think about it, he reworks what he's doing and he brings that ark into his tabernacle at Zion. So, so now we've got to think about, when we're thinking about Zion, we think about this is the place that David conquered and made it his city. It's this natural fortification. David conquered it, made it his city. It's the last part, frankly, of, the, of, the, of, of all of that promised land to finally be conquered and finally come into the hands of the Israelites. And, and that happens with David. Um, and so and all of his government is there and all of his army is there and his palace is there and now we've got this tent there with the Ark of the Covenant in the centre of that tent now I just want to tell you a little bit about 
what happens in that tabernacle. So that's called, the t tabernacle is another word for tent, okay? So that's why I'm using those words inter inter in interchangeably. The tabernacle of David is that tent with the Ark of the Covenant in. There were no animal sacrifices taking place in David's tabernacle. Those animal sacrifices happened once when the Ark of the Covenant was first brought in to that tabernacle. After that, so there's no blood at that tabernacle. There's no animal sacrifices going on. There's no altar. Okay, there's no location for those sacrifices to take place. The altar is back at Moses' tabernacle, which is at Gibeon. Um, there's no outer court, inner court, holy of holies, like I've said. There are just doors. There are doorkeepers, but there are just tent doors. And you can just walk in. And, you know, David often does just walk in. There's no veil covering that entrance to the Holy of Holies. The veil that made the Holy of Holies holy and separate, that veil remains and is part of Moses' tabernacle. So there's no veil, okay? Now, David organises um, the Levites, which, are the, which is the priestly clan, David organises the Levites to minister at his tabernacle and they minister with with musical instruments and with songs and with thanksgiving and he has a rotor i mean you know we we've got enough rotors in this church haven't we who's on a rotor everybody's on a rotor he has a 24-hour rotor running for his tabernacle so that for 24 hours a day there is musical instruments being sounded so that is trumpets cymbals stringed instruments the lyres that's going on 24 hours a day he has whole families of levites and it's their responsibility to stand before that ark and give thanks continually so they just give thanks to god fancy being on a rotor for that that's what they do. They give thanks for everything and everything that's going on. They come and they bring praise. He's got, he's got folk that come and, and sing songs and speak out praise and adoration before that ark continually. That's going on all of the time. So think of that. That's what's going on in Zion. That's the, that's the centerpiece. That's in the, in, the, in the square, as it were. You know, right in the centre of Zion. That's going on all the time. He also reorganises the priesthood at the tabernacle of Moses in Gibeon to make sure that the sacrifices are happening according to Moses' laws and audience and ordinance. And he does also have some worship going on there as well. But during David's reign, when the Ark of the Covenant is there in his tabernacle in Zion and he is reigning as king from Jerusalem for those 33 years, there is an explosion in terms of worship, praise and worship 
that goes on in Israel. The Psalms, the, you know, David is the one who, who is attributed for bringing the Psalms together. A lot of the Psalms are his, and a lot of the Psalms are written by a chap called Asaph. Or there's other guys called the Sons of Korah. There's a, so there are individuals who, bring, you know, who, who just have that anointing on them to, um, to compose worship songs and songs of praise and worship. And that's what the Psalms are. And then there's family lines like the Sons of Korah, who between them all, you know, they, you know, they, and they just, you know, this worship going on and this music going on. Um, Okay, so one more layer to add to that. Okay, so you're thinking of Zion, you're understanding it's, it's that natural fortress that David makes his home, uh, David sets up his palace there, you've got the treasury there, you've got all the government buildings there, you've got all the army there, you've got the, uh, the judiciary there, but right in the middle of town, Right in the middle of this square, you've got this temple, you've got this tabernacle. I, I tend to think of it as a white tent, you know, maybe a bit medieval with some pointy bits and flags flying on. Honestly, there's nothing in scripture that says it's white. I just got that in my head all the time. That's the way I see it. That's right there in the center of the square. And in, this, and in there is the Ark of the Covenant, unshielded. And there are people going in. And all the time there's this music and thanksgiving being heard and praise being heard and all this glory being ascribed to God that's drifting out all the time across all of all of his government uh, processes you imagine something like that you know right there saying Whitehall you know or right there in down or in the center of the houses of parliament 24 hours a day that worship going on you know it would change things wouldn't it okay so one other thing to lay on top of that after David has brought the covenant, brought the Ark of the Covenant to his tabernacle and set it all up, just as I've described. After that, he, his heart begins to turn towards the building of a temple. So he, he says, why is God dwelling in a tent? And I'm sitting in my palace here and everybody's building their houses and, you know, there's building work going on all the time in Jerusalem and it's being, being built up. Why don't we build something marvellous for the Lord? Why don't we build a temple? And I, I, just, I just want you to understand how new a concept that is, how new an idea that is, that there should be a building built as a permanent dwelling and a place of worship for the Lord. So his heart begins to turn towards that. And... Um, he talks to his friend, the prophet Nathan, about it. And, and then God speaks to Nathan about it. Um, and Nathan comes back to, to um, David and he brings this word from the Lord. And um, I, I want to kind of summarise it really. Um, so the Lord says to David, no, you're not going to be the one to build the temple but your son that comes after you, he will build the temple. So, we, so immediately we have this concept of there's a son coming who's going to do this. The son will build 
the temple. And then as so often happens with prophecy, you know, you've got, you've got these two layers. You've got a sort of immediate fulfillment, often in the, in the sort of physical world, and then there's a greater spiritual fulfillment. So the immediate fulfillment is that Solomon does indeed build the temple after David passes away. But there's this greater promise that comes as well that God says to David, and the pun is intended, he says, well, you want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to say that, you know, I'm going to promise you that one of your descendants will sit on your throne and will reign forever. There will be, there is an eternal reign to come. There is an everlasting son to come who will sit on the throne of David and will reign forever. So this big, and this big, so this is this concept really of the Messiah, the promised one who's coming that is going to be eternal and that is going to reign forever and ever. And so, and so now Zion is on top of all of those things I've just added to you, you let you also put on this idea that it's from Zion, it's it's with Zion, it's when Zion is in existence that this promise comes of an eternal reign from David's throne. And the Messiah is promised, and things get built up, you know, on that. But it's at that point that that promise comes. So now when you think about Zion, you've got to think not only about David's tabernacle being there and there's this explosion of praise and worship but you've also you also need to see the the it's not quite the beginning but a, you know but suddenly the establishing of this promise of the Messiah and a, and, and, a, and a son that will reign eternally you know and Zion being being part of all of that so that's really what you need to think of in Zion so we do get quite a lot of what you call messianic uh, psalms so in amongst all this um, stirring of people's hearts in terms of worship and praise and thanksgiving you know there's this there's this prophetic element now of the messiah being being prophesied and so of course you know psalm 2 here um, let me just read this to you this is you know this is kind of the the archetype really so this is a prophecy but but it's a, but it's a but it's a song of worship and it would be repeated and sung again and again and again obviously i can't quite put it to music but why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a great a vain thing the kings of the earth take their stand the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed there's that messiah his anointed saying let us tear their fetters apart let's cast off our cords from us he who sits in the heavens laughs. Good reference there to God laughing. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are you who take refuge in him. So you've got this, you know, got these... Initially, you can see David reigning and he... He, you know, once he's in Zion and once he's reigning from Jerusalem, God gives him peace all around. He conquers all of his enemies. They're all at peace with him for those 33 years when he's in Jerusalem. Um, so you've got that idea of, you know, God's established his king and everybody needs to calm down and, you know, um, he's, he's for his king. But then you've also got laid into that, that, that sense of that there's a son that will come to whom the whole world will do homage. Everybody will bow down to him. Um, okay, um, you guys all with me so far? Yeah. All right, so one more, um, well, I'm just going to talk a little bit then about the mention of Zion in Psalms. So talked, we talked about Psalm 2 here. Um, Psalm 48 talks about, um, walking around Zion and, you know, marvelling at it and, and recognising that it's where the Lord is enthroned. The Lord is in, enthroned in Zion. God is enthroned in Zion. Um, and uh, uh, God shines forth from Zion. Psalm 65, praise awaits you in Zion. It's a song, it's a song to the Lord that says, you know, we are going to worship you. We people are going to gather together. They gather together to Zion. They gather together to that tabernacle and they bring their worship and they bring their thanksgiving. A famous song you might know, um, Psalm 137, By the Rivers of Babylon. Anybody, everybody remember Boney M singing By the Rivers of Babylon? Yes, that's the one. So just, I just want you to recognise that is a song which is written by the Israelites when they are in captivity in Babylon. That captivity takes place hundreds and hundreds of years after David conquers Zion and those worship songs, you know, overflow and gush out. And people living thousands of miles away in Babylon, hundreds of years later, ask the Israelites, we want to hear those worship songs from Zion. So, so much time goes past and it's such a distant place and yet Zion is so famous for the origin of this beautiful worship and music which is famed across the world. So that these guys in Babylon hundreds and hundreds of years later, say, you're Israelites, play us some of the music of Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and there we wept when we remember Zion. And of course, they say to us, you know, sing us some of those songs. Okay, I'm just going to say then, really, the Zion is mentioned quite a lot in... Uh, in the prophets and the major prophets and in the minor prophets um, which again you know these prophecies are coming 
you know, often those prophets are coming hundreds of years later. Zion, that famous Zion that I've just described to you, that, that reverberates right through. And whenever Israel um, is encouraged to get back to the basics, as it were, it's Zion that is put before them. They're encouraged to come back to Zion. They're, re- they're encouraged to return to Zion. And just that whole sort of mindset, really, of, of the Lord God enthroned amongst them in the centre and this praise and worship going on. None of the blood sacrifices are going on. They're all happening in Moses' tabernacle. Um, and it being a time, really, of great peace and prosperity for Israel, you know, back in the golden days, as it were. Okay. When we come forward into the New Testament, we find some New Testament teaching about Zion. Again, these are probably scriptures that you might be familiar with. So we've got mentioned in Romans 9, and we've got mentioned in uh, 1 Peter, a quote from Isaiah 28, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone. And this is, this is, the, this is the idea that, um, that when God is building something new, he starts at Zion. He lays his foundation stone in Zion. And of course, he you know, builds something new with the Lord Jesus. When his son comes, Zion is renewed. Um, and we've, we've encountered it in Hebrews. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion. That's who we are, the people of God today. And in Revelation 14, 1, I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion with 144,000. It's Zion. Why is it Zion? Okay, I'm nearly there now, all right? Stay with me. When the church started, we can read all about this in Acts 11. So the church had been going for a few years in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And then there was a persecution that arose and people began to scatter. And so at that point, there were only Jewish Christians. These were the people, you know, that that book of Hebrews was written to. As they started to scatter, some of the Jewish Christians began to talk to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, all right? And a church was established in Antioch. So Antioch is a city uh, outside of Israel, further north. And we find, this is, this is our example in Scripture, of the first kind of Gentile church. And the, the uh, apostles in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they want to understand what's going on. So they send a chap called Barnabas up to Antioch and they say to him, look, go check it out, what's happening, what's going on, and bring a report back to us. And we get a big clue as to what's happening when we see there's this, this, this big council in Jerusalem, Barnabas comes back, reports back, um, and the, the, the apostles, they have a kind of a big, you know, they have a big power, really, and they've got to figure out what are we going to do about all of this? What does all this mean? And it's the way that James 
sums everything up at the end that's recorded for us. And I'm going to read this to you. This is from Acts 15. And he says, um, after they'd stopped speaking, James answered saying, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree. So he's now going to quote from Amos. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by, ni- by, ni- by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So when we were going through Hebrews, I think we were pretty clear, weren't we, really, that the big message from Hebrews is the old covenant system is now done away with. It's obsolete. It was completely superseded by the new covenant. And in fact, um, the writer of Hebrews says, and you know, what's obsolete is ready to be uh, destroyed. And we said to you, didn't we, about how within a couple of years of that being written, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were scattered across the face of the Roman Empire. And that was really the end of it until just very, very, very recently um, in 1948. So, so we're very clear that there's nothing in Scripture that says God's going to return to the tabernacle of Moses or return to the temple of Solomon, but there is a prophecy about him returning to the tabernacle of David, rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And it's linked specifically to outreach to the Gentiles, to the rest of the earth, to the other nations. So so James says what's going on in Antioch is a fulfillment of this prophecy that God is re-establishing his tabernacle of David all across the nations. Now look, guys, that's us, okay? We are a Gentile church, and I, I, really, this is, you know, I really want you to understand this. We are a Gentile church. We are patterned on that tabernacle of David, not the tabernacle of Moses, not the temple of Solomon, but this tabernacle that existed for these 33 years when David reigned, you know, supremely in Jerusalem from Zion. That's why there's no altar, okay? We don't have an altar, do we? We don't need an altar. That's why there's no veil. There's no separation. There's no sense of, you know, there's the there's, there's the, the priesthood, the holy ones, and then there's the congregation, the others. We don't have any sense of that separation. There's no priesthood here. Clearly, there are no blood sacrifices, although we all remember the one blood sacrifice that was sufficient for all of us and for all time. That's why it's like this. That's why we worship that's why there is music that's why there's stringed instruments and you know 
tambourines and guitars and drums and cymbals. That's why we lift our hands in worship. That's why we clap. That's what these guys did in David's tabernacle in Jerusalem. So just for those 33 years, you've got this little glimpse, this little foreshadowing of New Testament Gentile church right there in David's time. And I think it's very interesting that when you read through the historic accounts of David and what David was up to, it was very ethnically diverse in David's government. I mean, David, David had in, there's a chap called Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom comes from the city of Gath. He's a Gittite. Fancy being called a Gittite. Do you want to be a Gittite? That's great, isn't it? This is Obed. He's a Gittite. You, you, know, you know what went on in the city of Gath? Gath was a Philistine town from which Goliath came. And there was a period of time in which David, before he came to the throne, David went into hiding and he hid with the Gittites in Gath. Now he comes, now he comes to the throne, there are 600 Gittites in his army. And Obed-Edom is, you know, writing psalms and he's leading worship and stuff. There's a chap called Uriah. Do you remember Uriah? Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. Uriah was a Hittite. The Hittites, they were all to be wiped out. You know, they were Canaanite descendants. They were all to be wiped out. Um, but he's managed to survive. He was one of David's mighty men. He's one of the 30 mighty men of David. Makes his adultery with Bathsheba even more severe because it's one of his colleagues' wives. So Uriah, Uriah's a Hittite, and there's loads of them in there. There's, there's, there's guys from Edom. Ed, the Edomites are descended from Esau, not even from, you know, this is, Esau is Jacob's, or Jacob is Israel, Esau is his older brother. They're descended from, and there's lots of these other people all in the mix there. And when it comes to him building the, tab, building the temple, there's loads of guys from other nations that pledge, you know, wood and metals and, and materials and workmen to help build that temple. So it's such a multicultural place there in Zion. And I think that says something about, you know, when the spirit of God is present in the way that it was in Zion, not really seen before and not really seen after, just this very special period. Um, the Gentiles, you know, are very much in the mix. And so it's through that tabernacle of David that the Lord says, I'm going to raise that tabernacle up and I'm going to reach the Gentiles. And that is the church. And James here recognises that and says, that's what God's doing. It's a fulfilment of prophecy. So that's, the why, that's why we are the way we are. We're not that way because, you know, Paul likes it that way. You know, we're not that way because it's, you know, it's trendy, it's vogue. We're that way, we're this way, the way that we are, because this is the way that the Lord has always intended it to be. This is, we are 
that tabernacle of David. This is Zion here. And it's this place of worship and just an overflow of worship and thanksgiving and, and love towards God and a place where everybody is drawn to. So that is it, really. So that's what you think of now when you think of Zion. Think of that way and think of and, and understand that this is, the, this is the reason why we are the way that we are. Good. You did very well. Thank you very much. I appreciate all that. Let's have the, uh, let's have the band up. So the one extra thing really that's different for us is that um, the Spirit of God is poured out upon us lavishly. In David's day, the Spirit of God came and rested on particular individuals for particular tasks. And they knew something of the fellowship of the Spirit, but for you and I, our hearts are cleansed and you know we we have that indwelling presence of the spirit with us all of the time um, and that of course can be a great source of worship um, for us um, you guys do go ahead it's also um, a source as well what's that jenny oh sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> you might need this yeah thank you all right good Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. So, I, I, you know, we're going to worship just a moment. Um, but I just wanted to say as well that, um, you know, one of the things about the Spirit of God being with us is things called the gifts of the Spirit. So I've just got a few words um, of encouragement, really, for some of us here. So I'm looking around and seeing who's here. So, okay. So, Joel, um, I had a word for you. Um, let me just look it up. Sorry, I keep chucking my glasses on and off, don't I? I wrote it down, so I've got to read it. <laughs> Um, right so yeah just um so the, you know just words really just to encourage you and strengthen you i felt the lord um i felt the lord wanted to say to you that he is your source and supply and that he is your ever flowing wellspring of life welling up inside of you and I felt God wanted, really wanted to, to promise you and, and, and speak over you, really, strength and um, just emotional resources for life. So I felt God wanted to say to you, specifically thinking about um, Isaac and thinking about, um, you know, financial resources, equipment, adaptations in the home or whatever all that kind of thing i just felt the lord wanted to say to you he knows what you need he knows what isaac needs he sees all of that for all of his life and you know he just wants to say to you he is your provider 
for those things and to look for him for those things. But more than that, he understands what you need to provide to your family, you know, thinking about Hattie, thinking about Elijah as well, and thinking about Isaac, what you need in terms of, you know, strength for life, in terms of just emotional, psychological resources, strength there, you know, to father, father the children and to husband Hattie. He knows what you need. And God's just saying he is your strength and your source and your supply and there is an abundance there. There is a wellspring of that for you um, and to go to him for that. And he'll be, you know, he will be your supply. So when you're at the end of your, tele- you know, what, to go to him. He will give you all that you need, not just financially, but all that you need um, and to be that source of supply. I've got a word for Tepeway, um, but I can see you're here instead, Macy, which is great. Um, can I... If I give that to you, would you be able to pass that on to him? Yeah? Okay, good, right. So, because um, you'll benefit from this as well, all right? So I just felt, the, so this is for Tepeway. I just felt the Lord say, good days are coming. Days of ease, days of plenty, days of an abundance in good things. And I felt God say, you know, you shall reap a harvest from your patient endurance. And I felt God say for Tepeway, he's going to open up a door for you, a door of opportunity and a door of provision. So a door of provision for you, Tepeway, for your family, and a door of opportunity just to grow and to flourish and to expand and mature. Um, and I felt God say that was a door to serve and to learn, to serve and to learn um, that will be opened up to him. Um, Jeff, I have a word for you, Jeff. I'm glad I saw you there. Um, so again, I just felt God wanted to say to you, Jeff, that he is so pleased um, with your faithful, steady, simple service of love and I felt God want to say I see your whole life I see you as a child I see you as a young man I see you as you are today and God just says he's pleased with all of it he's pleased with that quiet faithful steady pouring out of your life giving of yourself away um, to those around you and I just felt the Lord say your reward is very great so let's, um, let's stand then and um, let's worship. You know, we've got plenty there to give thanks for. Let's enter into that ministry of David's tabernacle in Zion. Um, and let's give ourselves to the Lord in worship and thanksgiving and praise for a minute.